0: Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth, boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm your host, Nathaniel Jolly. Now, today, what... What I want to talk about is such an important issue. I I want to go through a study that the Barna Group did. I want to talk about competing worldviews that influence Christianity. This is such a huge, huge topic, and the reason that it's an important topic is because the reality is this is the very reason we see a lot of what we see today. It's the reason why we have Christians who are saying, look, it is a moral failure, ethical." issue to vote for the Democrat Party. And on the other side, you have this new group, quote-unquote pro-life Christians for Biden, uh, it's why you have such a division in the Christian church. And and that division is caused by different worldviews, right? As Christians, we should have a biblical worldview, and, and that's just very simply a worldview that looks through the lens of Scripture, right? That judges what we see, what we do, judges truth uh, objectively, by what scripture says is truth and then you have a secular worldview or what many would call you know, worldly Christians, that's kind of a misnomer because there's no such thing as a quote-unquote worldly Christian. If you're worldly, you're not a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're not worldly. Don't conflate that with whether or not Christians sin, because that's not what we're talking about. But So, I want to go through this study that Barna Group did on competing worldviews. Now, this was done a couple years ago. This study came out in 2018, but it is eerily a picture of what we see Today. And in fact, I would argue that the study not only proves, but it's consistent. Now, two years later, we see the same things happening. And, you know, when you throw in the last six to eight months with all the COVID stuff, it's just kind of brought all of that to the surface in a very clear and undeniable way you know, in an increasingly globalized and connected world that we live in today, there are, the worldviews amongst Christians, I think, have never been as clearly demonstrated to be different as, as we are today. But the question is, well, just how much have other worldviews crept into Christian perspectives. And that's the question that this uh, Barna study group is seeking to answer. In in fact, at the beginning here, it says that the research shows that only 17% of Christians who consider their faith important and attend church regularly actually have a biblical worldview. I mean, that that's incredible. Only 17%, according to the study of Christians, who consider their faith important and who attend church regularly, so we're talking about practicing Christians, only 17% of those actually have a biblical worldview. I mean, we could just end the podcast right there, uh, problem found, problem's not solved, but it's certainly found. Um, If 17% of Christians going to the voting polls this year are operating, uh, only 17 are operating with a biblical worldview, you can bet that the other 83% are probably making decisions that are antithetical to Christian faith and practice. That's just kind of logic, right? Um, So, let's dive into this study. Here's a few, and and I'm going to read and then comment on some of this stuff. A few findings from this study. 61% of these active, church-going, professing believers agree with ideas rooted in new spirituality. That's scary. Uh, We'll get into that, but... You know, think charismatic type stuff. Fifty-four um, percent resonated with postmodernist view. Now there's going to be some overlap in percentage right here. Thirty-six um, percent accepted ideas associated with Marxism. Man, I would be willing to bet. I'm not a betting man, but I'd be willing to bet that that percentage has significantly increased because we see it everywhere. Make no mistake, the Christians that are supporting things like Black Lives Matter, the Democrat Party, the social justice movement, all of those are accepting ideas associated with Marxism because those things are rooted in Marxism. It goes on to say that 29% of professing believers believe ideas based on secularism. And so what we have here is a lot of overlap and basically a huge percent of Christians who believe in ideas other than what we should be believing if, you know, if we're Bible, Bible-believing Bible Christians. I guess Bible-believing Christians are in the minority these days. Actually, we know that, that that's true, and I think these types of statistics prove that, right? So, new spirituality. 61% agree with ideas rooted in new spirituality. Well, what in the world is new spirituality? Uh, Well, new spirituality, it's probably among the most enticing, and they go on to say this, because it holds, it's it's a very positive-centered view of the world, of religion. It emphasizes the supernatural, and it simultaneously kind of feeds into a growing dissatisfaction with institutions. If that sounds eerily like some things you're hearing in the Marxism stuff, in the Black Lives Matter, right? Institutional racism, institutional disparities, institutional injustices. It's because it is rooted in Marxism. But this new spirituality, it really, it's just pagan religion. And yet we have 61% at the time of, of these polls that agree with Foundational beliefs of new spirituality, right? So, and it goes on to say, for instance, almost three in ten, so 28% of practicing Christians strongly agree that, quote, all people pray to the same God or spirit no matter what name they use for that spiritual being, end quote. That's astonishing. It's not surprising if most professing bible believing christians are in fact not really bible believing and have a secular worldview then the tendency would be to be a universalist or at least have universalist like ideas i think it was john MacArthur who just a few weeks ago read a more recent study that had some statistics very similar to that dear folks When someone, when a Muslim is praying to Allah and a Christian is praying to Yahweh or Jesus, God, Father, Holy Spirit, uh, they are not praying to the same God, don't be mistaken. If someone is praying to Buddha, that is not the same as the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If someone is praying to one of the plethora of the Hindu gods, that is not the God of the Bible. Those are all dead, fabricated, or made-up gods. We serve the one true God, the living God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived, who died, and who ascended, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, very much alive. And yet, 28% of practicing Christians, according to this poll, strongly agree that all people pray to the same God or spirit, no matter what name they use. I'm sorry. That's just not true. I think it gives a really good picture of how broken Western Christianity has become, or I just should say how broken many professing Christians are. Christianity in and of itself is defined as the Bible defines it, and so it is perfectly alive, active, whole. God's church is not in danger. God keeps His church. But we are in trouble when it comes to what professing believers believe and know about their own faith. It goes on to say that New Spirituality worldview also has inched its way into Christian ethics. No surprise, the doctrine you believe will affect every area of your life. There is no such thing as an unbiased individual. You are either biased because you are biblically based, and so your decisions, your thoughts, your beliefs will be centered around biblical doctrine, right doctrine, or you are worldly You are secular, and then your beliefs, your actions, your thoughts will be based on secular beliefs and ethics and so-called morals. So it goes on to say that one-third of practicing Christians strongly agree that, quote, if you do good, you will receive good, and if you do bad, you will receive bad. Okay, so there is some truth in that, right? We believe where the world would say karma. We believe in sowing and reaping they're not exactly the same, but it's a similar concept. So, we, we get that, but basically, this is talking about Christians buying into the, the more karmic statement. It appeals to a lot of Christians because it kind of sounds biblical, uh, but there are other things involved. So, I, I mean, that's 32%. This kind of belief effectively leads in, into a works-based belief system and and we'll probably talk about that a little bit as as we go on here. Overall, it says at least 60 per, 61% of practicing Christians embrace at least one of the ideas rooted in new spirituality. Uh, that That's huge guys I mean huge So what are some of these ideas Well they broke it down into three categories uh, Just for simplicity's sake So let's go through all, all those So the, out of the 61% who believe in new spirituality 28% said they believe that all people pray to the same God or spirit 27% of that 61 says that the meaning and purpose Come from becoming one with all that is Okay listen to that of the 61% of professing believers say that they believe meaning and purpose comes from becoming one with all that is. Yeah, that's just flat-out paganism. Uh, We won't get into the specifics, but we know that's clearly anti-biblical. 32% of this 61% said that they believe if you do good, you will receive good. If you do bad, you will receive bad. Purely transactional, not exactly the biblical understanding of reaping and sowing, right? Although there's an element of, of truth in there. We're just at the first part of this study, and already we have a very clear picture of, I mean, really the need for biblical worldview in the church, If you profess to be a Christian, what you're professing is Christ-likeness. What you're professing, professing is a lifestyle, a way of thinking, a way of believing that aligns itself with the Christian faith and practice, which is defined by Scripture. We throw this phrase around a lot, sola scriptura, especially for those in the reform camps. Sola scriptura, sola scriptura. Well, it means scripture alone. Scripture alone is our final authority for faith and practice in the Christian faith. And so far, the statistics are showing that people are using um, worldly ways of thinking over biblical ways of thinking, We know this, but I think it's good to be reminded of just how much this has crept into the church. And I think it helps us understand why there is such a division in the visible church in America today, especially in this time uh, of year during an election year, why we see such polarization even in the church. It's because you've got a lot of professing Christians who actually just don't believe or know their Bible. And that creates a huge issue. The next worldview uh, – so all of these are worldviews we're going to talk about. They've just categorized them in different areas. So secularism is the next worldview that they did. And they they go on to say this: the secular worldview prioritizes the scientific method as an explanatory framework for life and advances a – a rational and advances a rational and materialistic view of the world. For the most part, practicing Christians resist scientism and a Darwinian belief. Only one in ten, so ten percent, strongly agree that quote a belief must be proven by science to know it's true. Okay, so that's good, right? Our our faith, we have faith in in God and in His Word uh, because we know it's true, not because we can prove all those things. Um, It goes on to see that believing that human beings are made in the image of God and not just highly evolved matter, Christians see value as inherent. Only 13% of practicing Christians strongly agree that, quote, a person's life is valuable only if society sees it as valuable. Now, that might sound good that it's so low, but 13% of practicing Christians strongly agree that your life is only valuable as long as society sees it as valuable. So what happened to Imago Day? What happened to us being made in the image of God? What happened to um, determining the value of life based on God's view of life the sanctity of life. So uh, it's a low number, but it's still pretty atrocious. 13% of practicing Christians. There should be no percent of practicing Christians that believe life is only valuable when society says it's valuable. Now, I will tell you, I wholeheartedly disagree with this low assessment. I think it is far, far higher. And let me tell you why that is. Uh, Because there is an ever-increasing Growing movement of professing Christians who are okay. Supporting abortion. And if you support abortion, then you do, in fact, only believe a person's life is valuable when society says it's valuable. So, right now, society says, you know what, the preborn baby, their life is only valuable if it doesn't inconvenience the mother. And if it does inconvenience the mother, then let's just kill that preborn baby, and that's perfectly fine and okay. Well, now you've got a group called. pro-life Christians for Joe Biden. Well, Joe Biden is a baby murderer, and he'll do everything he can to murder more babies. Um, And, I mean, he he feels so strongly about it that he's made the statement that he will turn Roe v. Wade into law should the Supreme Court repeal it. That is a big deal. In fact, uh, every Christian that is okay promoting that, aligning themselves with that, supporting that, voting for that is far more a secular Christian than a biblical Christian. I'm not going to go as far as saying they're not Christian because who you vote for or who you don't vote for is not indicative of your salvation necessarily, um, but certainly you are a more worldly and less biblical Christian, if that's the case, and we see that trend growing and growing and growing, right? Um. So, th- this study goes on to talk about secularism. So, listen to this. We said twenty-nine um, percent believe in of professing Christians believe. Uh, in ideas based on secularism, so it breaks that down, 10%, we've already talked about that, a belief that has to be proven by science. Well, if, if someone really believed that, then they're not a Christian because our, our faith is unseen, right? So, um, uh, the next category is a person's life is valuable if only society says, that's 13%. And then the, the last category in secularism, 20% of these Christians said that they believe meaning and purpose come from working hard to earn as much as possible so you can make the most of life. Well, we've got two problems with that thought. This is 21%, or sorry, 20% of the group that, of Christians who buy into secularism. Uh, one is just kind of inherently greedy, um, getting what you want. Right. It, it, meaning and purpose comes from working hard and earning as much as possible. So this really plays into kind of the American dream, right? You can get wealthy, you can have what you want. Uh, it's incredibly selfish-based, um, and, and, and that's what meaning and purpose comes from. So it, this is humanism is what we're talking about, right? So humanism says that the chief end of all things um, is for the happiness of mankind, Right? So, that that's the purpose of life. It's the purpose of everything, is to make man happy. That's exactly what this is saying. So, 20% of this group of Christians basically are just humanists. They believe that it's all about them. God created the universe for them to enjoy. Uh, and, of course, that's partly true, but it's all about them and their happiness. Newsflash, um, God's creation is actually all about Christ and his glory and uh Yeah, it's all meant to um, go back to giving God glory, not about mankind. So, postmodernism is the next section. 54% of the people surveyed resonated with postmodern views. This stuff, it's so dangerous. I mean, so it it goes on and kind of defines postmodernism. And so, I'll read that for those of you who uh, aren't aren't up on that. It says, emerging as a critique of rationalism, the belief that everything can be explained objectively through the scientific method. Uh, postmodern, so that it's critiquing that. Postmodernism advances the idea that there is no such thing as objectivity. This is the world we live in. We live in a postmodern world. However else you may define the time period in which we live, it is most definitely postmodern. Effectively, this is the thought of, you know, if it feels good, if it feels good to you, it must be right. It's the idea that everything is subjective and truth is subjective. So my truth may not be your truth. Your truth may not be my truth. And th- this is what postmodernism is. And and yet, uh, 54% of all the believers who took the survey align themselves with postmodernism. That is to say that these professing believers do not believe the Bible, because Scripture is sets absolute standards. I mean, think about the Ten Commandments, not just the Ten Commandments, but and then we go to the New Testament and Jesus says, well, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. He gets questioned about commandments and he said, he, he basically gives a summary of the, of the two tablets of the law, right? Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. That, that's just a summary of the Ten Commandments and everything else fits in there so it's still applicable, but those are absolutes. There is never a time when murder is okay, right? There is never a time... When uh, falsely accusing a person is okay, it is always a moral failure and a sin. Lying, there's never a time when lying is not a sin, right? Scripture provides absolute and objective truth. Postmodernism directly assaults the validity of Scripture, directly assaults the sufficiency of Scripture. Postmodernism says that you are, in and of yourself, wholly sufficient. Effectively, postmodernism is, promotes the idea of self-godhood. Because if truth is all subjective and your truth is true for you, then that means you are, in fact, God. Postmodernism is a heinous and dangerous uh, worldview. So, it goes on to give an example of several categories. So, it says, for example, almost one-fifth of practicing Christians strongly agree that, quote, no one can know for certain what meaning and purpose there is to life. What? So, this is in within the 54%, right? 19% of those say that there's no way we can know the meaning and purpose to life. I mean, this is where catechisms are so important, right? So, we're supposed to love God and enjoy Him forever. Uh, the purpose of life ultimately is to exalt and glorify God. Okay, Scripture gives us, you know, these things clearly. It goes on to say one quarter, almost one quarter of practicing Christians, so that's 23% here, strongly agree with quote, what is morally right or wrong depends on what an individual believes, end quote. Wait a minute. So you're telling me that 23% of Christians professing Christians in this group believe that what's morally right or wrong simply depends on what you believe? So if I believe it's okay to walk up and slap you, that's okay because I think it's okay. I mean, that's an idiotic idea. In fact, I I you know, no one really believes that and you can prove it. Just go up and slap someone and I guarantee you they'll get angry. If they really believe this, then they would be forced to say, "Well, yeah, okay. I That's fine. I I'm okay with that because if that was your truth, so it must be okay." No. You you know how else we know that's not true? Because generally speaking, society still deems things like rape wrong. I mean, it is wrong. But if we believe that what's morally right or wrong just depends on what the individual thinks, then everything would go. I mean, almost more and more these days, it's kind of seeming like lots of things are going. It's insane that we could believe that professing believers could think that. It it effectively means that for them, The Bible is not inerrant, it's not authoritative, and it's not sufficient. Because if you believe that, you know, morals, ethics, what's right and wrong is just totally subjective, you have to deny, you know, just the fundamental tenets of the Christian faith. You have to deny that Scripture is authoritative. You have to deny that it's uh, uh, sufficient. You have to deny that it's inerrant. And I bet if you were to ask these 23% Christians, or rather take the whole group, 54%, um, none of them would deny most of those things, and yet they do in their belief system. This is why having a biblical worldview is so extremely important. Just to reiterate, so postmodern Christians, 54%, meaning that 54% of believers basically believe that there's no such thing as objective truth. I mean, you look at Psalm 19, Psalm 19 destroys the postmodern thought process, which is just a kind of concise, shortened version of Psalm 119, but you go through Psalm 19 and, um, you know, the, the second part of Psalm 19 really goes through what God says, you know, what David's writing about the scriptures themselves. It, it's all about the sufficiency of scripture. That they're true, that they're right, that they're pure, uh, that they you know change our minds. I'm not quoting it verbatim, but th- this is this is what the scripture says about itself. We' move on to the next category, Marxism. Man, everybody is talking about Marxism these days because Black Lives Matter is a Marxist movement. If you didn't know that and you're unsure about that, uh, there are a plethora of YouTube videos and other videos of the leaders themselves saying we're professionally trained Marxists. So Black Lives Matter is totally Marxist movement. You used to be able to go on their website. Now they've taken a lot of it off where they talk about the things that they believe. Um, I would just point you to Virgil Walker and Daryl Harrison's... um, podcast just thinking podcast i'll put a link to that in the show notes here they do an excellent job of really digging down into what they believe why they're marxist that sort of thing but marxism just in case you're unfamiliar of uh, i'm of why that's bad fundamentally marxism deems religion as an enemy Right, the opiate of the masses. Um, but even more so, not just every religion, but Christianity is fundamentally an enemy to Marxism. Um, in Marxism, at, at, at the very base level, Marxism seeks to utterly destroy. Whatever system it's trying to rebuild—that—that's the belief, right? So the belief in Marxism is that you can't renew, refresh, refine, fix. You—you you have to utterly destroy. It's rooted in um, chaos. It's rooted in deception. It's rooted in usury. I mean, this is this is Marxism, right? It hates capitalism, um, and and it uses people groups and pits people groups. Uh, against one another for its its own purposes. I mean, Marxism, th- there's just nothing about Marxism that um, is coherent with the Christian faith, right? Uh, So I'll I'll read this little thing here uh, on the it says Bernie Sanders came very close to winning his party's nomination. So this was in 2018. Right. Uh, Running on a platform of democratic socialism. He won a great deal of support, particularly among young voters, by tapping into deep discontentment with the economic realities of capitalism. Marxism as a worldview stands in. Opposition to the economics of capitalism and falls more in line with socialist or communist political ideologies. Marxism, though, uh, is also founded on an irreligious or even religiously hostile foundation. So, just what I was telling you earlier. It is extremely hostile against religion. Um, again, there's no set principles. There's no set morals. Uh, it it all is about power shifts and power struggles. And effectively, Marxism is built on theft. I mean, it's built on racism and theft and hatred. Right? You steal from those who you deem have a lot to give to those who don't have much. You demonize those who have a lot Um to give to those who don't have much, and then you demand that the ones you give to serve you. Um, I, I mean, it goes against I, so much of what Scripture, what scripture teaches. Uh, we won't get into all that during this podcast, but uh, so anyway, we'll continue on. Let's see. So it goes on to say that um, one in nine professing believers strongly agree that private property encourages greed and envy. Well, sorry, you know, Old Testament, God gave Israel land. I guess God was wrong. Uh, let's move on. Uh, this is more pronounced when when practicing Christian millennials um, and Gen Xers who are four to times six, four to six times more likely to believe this when compared to baby boomers or elders. So all that to say is it's just a part of Marxism that a lot of younger Christians are buying in, buying into. So, let's break that down. I mean, you got 36% of professing believers who are basically Marxists. Now, let me tell you, in today's world, we see that all over. We see guys who have, maybe they're not Marxists, and it's not fair to call them Marxists, but they have most certainly bought into Marxist ideologies. I mean, what do you think Resolution 9 was in the SBC, if you keep up with that? That's rooted in Marxist ideology. Um Tim Keller's The Tim Keller's And the J.D. Greer's Promoting social justice And Black Lives Matter I mean th- This stuff Is all rooted in Marxism Now I'm not saying They are Marxist But they most certainly Have bought into A worldview That is anth- Antithetical To the Christian faith And practice There is just No denying that It's just the way it is So Marxism They break it up Into three categories Private property encourages greed and envy. 11% of people believe that. Well, actually, sin encourages greed and envy. doesn't matter whether you have private property or you don't. I've seen people who have no property that are just as greedy. Uh, it's a heart condition, right? You don't have to have a lot to, to be greedy or envious. So that's... That's a false thing. Anyway, 14% of this group in the Marxism category believe that the government rather than individuals, should control as much of the resources as necessary to ensure that everyone gets their fair share. Well, that's not a biblical concept either. The third category says this, um, and 15% bought in this, if the government leaves them alone, businesses will mostly do what's right. Only 15% believe that. So, they have a category that says, what does this research mean? So, it says, and I quote, This research really crystallizes what Barna has been tracking in our country as an ongoing shift away from Christianity as the basis for a shared worldview. We have observed and reported on increasing pluralism, relativism, and moral decline among Americans and even the, in the church. Nevertheless, it is striking how pervasive some of these beliefs among people who are actively engaging in the Christian faith I mean, this is a huge part of practicing Christianity in the West today. Let me just go back to that. 61% of the people who took the survey agreed with new spirituality, right? Just various forms of paganism and pagan practice. 54% resonated with postmodern views, the idea that there is no standard of truth, 36% accepted the ideas associated with Marxism, which at its core is fundamentally an enemy of the cross of Christ, and 29% believes ideas based on just pure secularism, which is not much more than just humanism. It's all about the individual and your happiness. So we look at this and we have a lot of work to do in the church, but more importantly, If you've been confused or upset or angry or just not sure why there's so much division in the visible church today, especially during election time, I mean, here's your answer right here. And we could simplify all of this by saying that statistically the majority of professing believers do not actually believe the Bible. That's really what it comes down to. So. You know, everything that we're supposed to do as a Christian should be judged based on biblical principles, biblical ethics and morals. So, when you vote, and this isn't about voting, but it's it's important, when you vote, if as a believer if you vote using biblical principles judging Based on biblical ethics and morals, currently, there is no way you could come to the conclusion that a Christian, a Bible-believing Christian, could support the Democrat Party. Well, why is that? Uh, Well, because the party itself has platformed moral ethical issues. Murder is a moral issue. Christians cannot support murder. And, and when a political party platforms, and what I mean by platform, right, and we just think through this for a moment, because this is the most contentious area in, in society currently. When we talk about platforming, what I'm talking about, right, in this podcast is I'm talking about when a political party as a whole adopts an issue that is a moral issue, which forces a person who votes for or supports them to join in that issue. When that becomes a moral issue, then for the Christian, you have to look at that issue and then go to Scripture and say, how does God feel about this? What does the Bible tell us, teach us about this? And can I join myself with this thing? It's not like politics, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago. We're not talking about whether you believe in open borders or not open borders. Sure, that's political. Christians can come to different opinions on that. No problem. I'll happily sit down and fellowship with someone who thinks we should have open borders and with someone who thinks we should have closed borders. No problem. It's not even an issue on the biblical scale, really. But then when you talk about the murder of preborn babies, that becomes a moral issue. I will not fellowship with a professing believer who partners with the party of death to kill innocent children. That's not okay. And why is it not okay? It's not an extreme position. It is a moral failure. It's not okay because God deems life valuable. And so we don't get to arbitrarily just decide it's not valuable because it may cause inconvenience for you know some woman out there or some couple out there if that be the case they've adopted other things on their platform such as homosexuality which no bible believing professing christian can support and so um, what's happened is because the democrat party has adopted all these moral issues and platform them. So they built their party on these issues. I mean, they have all but said, and in fact, many have said as clearly as, if you vote for us, this is what you're going to help make happen. So, dear Christian, think biblically. If you vote for the Democrat Party... They themselves have made the statement, you will help them accomplish these things. And some of those things are murdering innocent children. Some of those things are promoting, not just promoting transgenderism and homosexuality, but enforcing any of those who they would deem bigoted, which would be the Christian practicing Christians. So you are fighting against the very religion you claim to belong to. There's no way to get around that. Now, you know, one of the arguments is, and and again, because Christians simply don't have a biblical worldview, this is why we have to have these conversations. But you get the argument: well, um, I'm not a one-issue voter. Well, then, in this instance, maybe you're just not following the Christian faith, because, you know, no Christian can align with murder. Here's the difference. Now, I'm not advocating for the Republican Party at all. I'm not telling you who you have to vote for. I'm just simply telling you as a biblical Christian who you cannot vote for, and you cannot vote for the the Democrat Party without attacking the Christian faith, without joining purposefully with sin, without... Um, coming against biblical standards uh, you just can't do that and and the Democrat Party platform they've made that very clear you can read through their 2020 platform policies they make it abundantly clear so yes a vote for Joe Biden is in fact support for abortion you don't have to like it but it is And, and so what I what I want people to do what I want Christians to do is instead of being so um, set on their own party, right? Uh, or, I mean, the reality is we have a lot of these discussions because Christians have hate in their heart. Now, let me just deal with that. Um, if you are voting for, for the Democrat Party because you hate Trump, you're already in sin, Christian, I'm not saying you have to love him, but a lot of you out there just plainly hate him, and you're in sin, and you're sinning against the holy God, and you need to repent. That's just true. The Apostle Paul makes it abundantly clear we're supposed to pray for our leaders. You don't have to like it, but he's our leader. He's our president. And that goes for whoever our leaders are, whatever party they're affiliated with. But the challenge is you've got to separate this emotional this emotionalism this humanism right this secularism and you've got to step back and you've got to say um is what i'm doing pleasing to god is what i'm doing in line with scripture can i partner with these platformed issues and the answer for the christian in the in the democrat party is no now if they didn't have abortion as a part of their entire platform. If they didn't have homosexuality and transgenderism, we could maybe be having a different conversation. But the fact is we do not live in that world any longer. We just don't. And, you know, the, the only reason in my mind that you can vote for the Republican party because they're not God's party either is because they have not platformed moral issues Right, They have not made moral issues a part of their platform that would force a Christian to go against the teachings of Scripture. Now, if that happens one day, then guess what? I'll be on a podcast telling you you can no longer vote for either party because my loyalty doesn't lie with Donald Trump. My loyalty doesn't lie with the Republican or the Democrat Party. My loyalties lie uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ. What I do, what I say, how I vote, how I partner, or what I partner with needs to be pleasing to the Lord. So, if that were our heart, we would find a lot more Christians willing to step back, judge things from a biblical perspective, and come to a very different conclusion than what they're coming to, right? The only way that someone like Russell Moore or J.D. Greer can can come to the conclusion that it is an issue of conscience is because they have bought into the idea that your truth is your truth and basically there's no set morality. It's subjective. And I can't tell you what their motivation for doing that is, but I can tell you that they're absolutely wrong and totally against the teachings of Scripture. So when a preacher says you can vote your conscience – but your conscience has been trained by a secular worldview, then you're going to vote wrongly. If you believe in subjective truth or that there's no objective truth, there's no standard, you're going to vote wrongly. We don't get to do that as Christians. There is a right and a wrong, and the right is what God says is right. The wrong is what God says is wrong. And as believers, we happily and willingly submit ourselves to that. Personally, like I said, I'm not going to tell anyone who they have to vote for, but I can tell you who you can't vote for if you care about voting in a way that doesn't um, compromise morality, biblical ethics. And and that's that, very simply, you can't vote for the Democrat Party. And it's not just these areas, all right? The problem, all of these issues we're seeing today, divisions in the church, I think, again, they can really be boiled down to the fact that the majority of Christians have chosen to let the world train their conscience rather than Scripture train their conscience. Well, okay, let's get on to the good stuff. Nathaniel, I hear what you're saying, but I don't know, how do I let Scripture train my conscience? How do I know if I have a a worldview, a secular worldview, or a biblical worldview? How much time do you spend in Scripture? we're transformed by the hearing of the word how do you hear the word you sit under faithful preachers you study and read the scripture yourself as you read it to yourself as you study it you know as as we spend time in the word of god the word of god trains and retrains our minds that's how we let scripture train our conscience you know we we live in such a world where emotionalism rules the day and the church has bought into a lot of that stuff where you can turn on a news channel, you can hear the president give, quite frankly, a terrible speech, and then you can you can just decide, because it doesn't make you feel good, that you're going to vote for a party that's going to murder innocent children. That's not right thinking. It's not biblical thinking. In my opinion, it's really just not thinking at all. I mean, here, here's the truth. Currently, one issue voting is absolutely a legitimate thing, because... If it's not, then what you're telling me is that having an open border is more important than whether, you know, little Johnny is born or murdered. Is that really what you want to say? Do you really want to tell me that giving, providing a house for the homeless guy on the street is more important than whether or not little Susie gets to keep her life or is murdered? Is that really what you want to say? I mean, part of this issue is I think we just don't think through the consequences of our thought processes, right? What are the implications of the way you believe? I'll say it again because I know people will say, well, you're just, you know, trying to make a plug for the Republican Party. I'm really not. I am really, truly only telling you that biblically you cannot vote for the Democrat Party because they force you by way of vote to specifically further murder, homosexuality, I mean, all types of things, and, and we've got to step back and judge these things biblically rather than emotionally, rather than with, you know, a mind that's been trained by secularism Marxism, whatever it is, we've got to take a step back and say, you know what, if I vote, because the platforms are different, if I vote for the Democrat Party, for instance, am I actually furthering the cause of abortion, murder? Am I partaking in that? And the answer is yes. The party itself has made that clear, right? You have to step back and say, okay, if I vote for this party, am I partaking in sin? Am I actively joining in sin and, and the answer is yes for that party. And that's because they have platform moral issues, right? The, the day and, and the idea of politics being something Christians shouldn't talk about or the church, it really it's nonsense because it, fundamentally it comes down to whether you believe there's a division in what is sacred or what is secular. Well, there's no such thing. Everything is sacred. And what I mean by that is everything is under the authority and sovereignty of the living God. A believer cannot, you cannot separate yourself from a spiritual reality. That just, that's not possible. We can't do that. And, and so now that political parties have brought on moral issues, now it's something that every pastor should, if he's being faithful to his position uh, as, as a shepherd, going to have to speak to. We don't get to be silent anymore. The reality is, um, if Christians really were functioning with a biblical worldview, there's no way you could partner with any organization that was so set on murdering pre-born children like the Democrat Party. We've got to step back, guys, and we've got to – our first question has to be, what does the Scripture say about this? Sola Scriptura, Sola Scriptura, Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone – Right? What does God think about this? Not what do I think? Uh, not what does CNN think? Not what does Fox News think? But what does God think about this? And then we've got to be humble, and we've got to be willing to change our direction, right? And and repent of things that we've been supporting, possibly, for the sake of our love for Christ, for the sake of obedience to Christ, for the sake of our biblical witness. There are Christian so-called Christians out there right now who make an argument by twisting scripture to say that God is for abortion. I don't know how much more heinous and vile you could possibly get. That's the equivalent of trying to make an argument that God promotes rape, which I don't think I've ever heard anyone say, but it's the same level of vileness I mean, the church is called to be separate from the world. I mean, we've got to look different. You should, you should be able to look across the Christian landscape right now. You should not hear a single pastor preaching this nonsense about how you can just vote your conscience and we need to make room for either party in the church. No, I'm sorry. We do not make room for unrepentant, godless, professing Christians in the church. So, if you support abortion— You know, you you don't get to support abortion, vote for abortion, do everything you can to make sure people get in power that were murdered children, and then come and worship on Sunday morning and act as though you're right before God, because you're not. So repent, if that's the case. And I mean, the whole point of this podcast really today is just to get, you know, some of you guys listening to open your eyes and say, okay, look, What I care about is my love for Christ, my obedience to Christ, and maybe I hope by this time as we wrap this up that you've decided to take a step back and ask the question, what does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible teach? Am I really right before God? And look, I don't know any faithful Christian who would not embrace someone that says, you know what, I've been on the wrong side of this thing. I repent, Lord forgive me, and, and then you just move in the opposite direction. I mean, again, you have options, but the option you don't have is to vote for the Democrat Party if you care about objective biblical truth uh, that comes that's derived from having a biblical worldview. This survey... It should be alarming. The fact that I read this from two years ago and sitting here today, you're like, "Oh yeah, I see all of that." And to be honest, it's probably far worse than these numbers show. Proves that the majority of professing believers are trained by the world. They look worldly. They act worldly. And really, they they just they've set aside the Bible, the Bible's authority, the Bible's sufficiency, the Bible's inerrancy in favor of what the world says. And so. Dear believer, I I would just plead with you. I would beg you to take a step back, to, to repent. If you need to do that and ask God's forgiveness, he's good to forgive and get in the word of God. Sit under a biblical pastor. Find a church that truly preaches the Bible, that exercises church discipline if needed, that adheres to the word of God, that believes in the Bible's inerrancy, in the Bible's sufficiency, in the Bible's authority. Get plugged in, start doing some study yourself. You can. There's tons of podcasts or other things you can study with. Turn on John MacArthur. Uh, I think Heart Cry has some stuff with Paul Washer. I mean, there's tons of guys out there that you can do things with. I think Justin Peters has some uh, like daily study videos. But get in your Bible more than all of that. Get plugged into a church. Get in your Bible, and before you make your decisions, regardless of what they are, take a step back and ask the question. What does the Bible teach? What would honor and please God? And then you make your decision that way. I hope that today's podcast was helpful to you. Um, A couple things. We would love to get some emails, some feedback or if you have questions uh, we would love to get those. You can uh, send us an email at uh, truthbeknownpodcast at gmail.com. That's truthbeknownpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to support our podcast or you'd like to support us as uh, missionary church planners here in Alaska you can do that through our Patreon which is just simply www.patreon.com slash jolly missionaries, Uh, we would love to have your support and more importantly we'd love to have your prayer so please do be praying for us and uh, so we hope this blessed you and until next time dear friends, let the truth be known The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven gospel centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.